Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. number four. We are in our fourth and final week of Souls to Save. This series has been good so far, right? It, I don't even know how to describe it properly. It's been very impactful for me, and I hope it has for you as well. We're going to finish up this series today. You know, this message I have for you today is far from tangible, <laughs> I struggled with it because I really do like to provide very applicable messages. And and this one just, I did put it into nice list and note format the best that I possibly could. But I'm very aware that we're probably all going to walk out with something very different today. (laughs) And that's okay. In fact, I hope that you take one of my application pieces and walk out with a few of your own, you might even compare notes with somebody later and, and like, did were you in the same sermon that I was? Because I got something completely different. I hope that happens, but I also, I want to warn you that this message could be very easily taken out of context and used as a weapon. I don't want that to happen. The truth is what we're talking about today, and the truth can often be used as a weapon. I'm going to try to present this as balanced as I possibly can, but I don't want it to be used later out of context as a weapon. I hope that it's, it's used to heal and not hurt. You know, we've spent the first month of this year focusing on us as a church, how to have unity within ourselves, but not just for unity's sake, right? It's not just so that we can all get along and sing kumbaya together and be in a country club atmosphere, right? It's about having fun and being friends, sure, but for a purpose. Because we have a job to do. We've got souls to save, and it's so important that we're on the same page to get that done. I believe that this year God is going to show us exactly how we are to use our vibrancy, our passion, and our selflessness to change the world with the message of the gospel. He's going to give us that. And so next week, we're going to start a new series, but There's one crucial component of unity in the church that we haven't touched on too much yet, and that is the role of truth, truth within the church. So we're going to read today from Ephesians 4. This has been awesome that it's all been in an Ephesians series. I did not plan that, amazingly. It just kept flipping to the next chapter, and God had more to say for us as a church. So Ephesians 4, verse 11 is where we're starting today. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. We've talked about this a few times throughout the series, right? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all have come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, 
helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We're going to stop there for just a moment. You know, I often will read, especially New Testament passages in other versions of the Bible, just to compare language and get myself to think about it in a brand new way. Having been raised in the church, I often get sort of stuck into, I don't know, old ways of thinking about things. And I just sort of like to jog myself out of that. So I read this passage this week in the message translation. And instead of it saying in verse 14 that we will no longer be immature like children, the message said, no prolonged infancies among us, please. No prolonged infancies. And it got me thinking, you know, infancy and immaturity has its place, certainly, right? We all expect babies to act like Babies, little ones to act like little ones. We don't expect maturity out of them yet. And so we make allowances for them. You don't want a mature 20-year-old coming out of the womb. That would be weird, right? Nobody wants that. (laughs) On the flip side, we've also probably all experienced a 20-year-old baby, right? (laughs) And that's not pretty either. So no prolonged infancy is not just true in physical age, it's true in spiritual age and maturity as well. And that's what he's saying here. He doesn't want us staying in a state, prolonged spiritual infancy. He's saying we need to grow up, right? We have to grow up. And so what are the things that can keep us in a state of prolonged infancy spiritually? Number one, I believe fear can do that. Fear keeps us in a state of prolonged infancy. And if we want to walk together in unity and accomplish the job we were put here to accomplish, we have to grow up. And it means that we have to conquer our fears. And to kids, fear can be a very real and very debilitating thing, right? How many of you parents know that most kids are afraid of the dark, when they're little, right? As adults, we, we tend to grow out of it. And I think, you know, as adults, we understand a few things that kids don't understand. We know that our eyes eventually adjust to the dark, right? Eventually, you can see a little bit more than you can initially. So I get it. I can, I can manage through that period of seeing nothing because I know that there, there will be a period where I can see more. I also know that I locked the front door and the back door, and I happen to know where the gun is, and I own pit bulls, right? So (laughs) I'm all right with a little bit of darkness. Kids don't often know these things, and so they feel helpless and vulnerable in a big, crazy world they don't understand, they couldn't possibly understand, and now it's dark too. The one thing they could control, they could see that everything was okay, that's been stripped from them as well. They're in the dark and they're scared. We don't have to live that way. As Christians, we don't have to live that way. In fact, I've sort of, I feel like I've said this a lot lately, but in my life, past few years, I have created a zero tolerance policy on fear. (laughs) I have to. Because I grew up extremely fearful. I was, I was, not just shy. It was, it was social anxiety. It was scared of everything. I called it my cage or, or my box of fear. I was always scared of something. 
I hated it. I am not going back there. So zero tolerance policy on fear. In fact, now if I feel fear, it's almost a trigger that I have to do the thing that I'm afraid of. Have to. Have to conquer it. Not allowing myself. It's not that I don't feel fear anymore. Right? Somebody called me uh, our fearless leader lately, and I was like, whoa. I'm not. That's not. (laughs) I feel fear all the time. I just don't allow fear to control me anymore. I have to stop it, stop reacting to it and allowing it to tell me what to do. It doesn't get to tell me what to do anymore. I do that, and I overcome the fear. Usually it just looks like squaring my shoulders, taking a deep breath, whispering, Holy Spirit, help me, and going for it, launching in, right? I just trust that God's going to have my back and I'm going to do the thing that I'm afraid of. There is nothing more empowering, by the way, than doing the thing you're afraid of. Because on the other side, it's never as scary as you thought it was going to be. Never. You're always looking back like, that wasn't so bad. And then the next success and victory is built upon that one. It gives you a little bit more empowerment. You're more ready to take on the next one. We have to have a zero tolerance policy on fear. We have to. We have to stop giving in to the fear. There may be a time that you have to allow your eyes to adjust, but you'll get through it to the other side. Be able to look back and see that you can actually see a little bit more. You know, it's funny. I was recently, just a couple of weeks ago, I I went through this really dark week. (laughs) Felt like I was drowning. Like God was dealing with me with some things and we were processing some stuff and I had to forgive some stuff and I spent like three days crying and I was a mess. It was a dark week, except deep down part of me that was always saying, you're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. Not only that, but you're going to come out of this on the other side stronger than you are now. I was seeing in the dark. I could see in the dark. It's not like God came in and flipped on the light for me. It was still dark, but I could see a little bit. It was shadows maybe, and it was limited, but I could see. I could see, and gets on top of us sometimes. We can still see, because we have that anchor deep down in our soul. A voice saying, you've got this. You're going to get through this, and you're going to be stronger for it. I've developed the ability to see in the dark through obedience over time. And maybe these two things I have to to describe today should really be one. The things that keep us in prolonged infancy, fear and the truth. No, denial. (laughs) Truth is the antidote to both. Truth is the antidote to both. And truth doesn't often feel like the truth at the time. It's truth that seems contradictory to my current reality. The reality is it's dark and scary. But the truth is I'm going to make it through. The truth is I'm going to be stronger for it. I'm scared, but I am strong. I'm hurting, but I am more than a conqueror. I may be trembling, but I am brave. Everything inside me aches, but I trust you. And we started off this series by talking about the contradictions 
that seem like are all throughout Christianity, right? Seem like contradictions, but it's really just confronting the reality with the truth. It's faith. You don't have to deny your reality to have faith, right? It can be both. The kingdom is not often this or that. It's this and that. I am trembling, but I am brave. It is dark, but I can see. These, both of these things are true. This is why we liberally hand out the 40 IMs, right? If you haven't heard of it yet, look in the sermon notes. I, I put a bunch of copies back there on the I'm in table. Grab one on your way out today. But if you're struggling with seeing who you really are, speak the word over yourself. That's what the 40 IMs do. It hands you 40 IM statements that you can say biblically over yourself out loud. I am more than a conqueror. I am a child of God, right? I'm delivered from the hand of the enemy. It's I am statements. That is the truth, even though you don't feel them. And this is 100% how I got out of the fear as a kid. I was so scared of everything. But every morning, somebody had told me this as a kid and growing up in the church isn't this one of the strengths. You get to fix problems early so they don't plague you later. And so as a kid, I would write down in my journal, every time I found a verse in the Bible about boldness or bravery, I would write them down and I would say them out loud over myself, claiming them for me. And even though I was trembling, I would say, the wicked flee, though no one pursues them, but the godly are as bold as lions, right? I am bold and brave in him. I don't feel it, but I am. It is faith. It's the truth. It's confronting reality with truth. God gives us many of these tools. It's not just his word. Worship is actually proclaiming who God is to remind yourself of the truth that God is so much bigger than anything you're dealing with. That is worship, proclaiming truth into your situation. Praise is about celebrating the truth of who God is and what he has done to remind yourself that things aren't as bad as they actually seem. Right? It's, it's rejoicing in the truth of who he is, even through the storm. It's not like you have to feel joy. Praise isn't feeling joy. It's proclaiming joy, truth of who he is, because our God is able. That's who he is. Thanksgiving is, is about reminding yourself of the truth that God has done so much for you in the past. Why wouldn't he do it again now? Why wouldn't he do it again now? Thank him for what he's done in the past. Remind yourself what he's done in the past because he can do it again today too. Proclaim truth. It's the antidote to fear. Keep a journal. Hang stuff on your walls. Put post-it notes all around your house. Whatever you have to do to remind yourself of the truth and its victory over fear. Uh, you also have one more, and I've done this every week, many times a week throughout my life. I've been blessed that I was taught to do this as a kid, but I've submitted myself to apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, people gifted to speak into my life as a member of the church. And I've learned and grown so much and changed so much just by not allowing myself to come in and get nothing out of it and walk away. I allow it to challenge me, try to come out with one big takeaway to apply to my life. Today, I confront myself with truth. 
don't allow myself to get away with excuses. I don't walk in saying I've got this all under control. I already know what they're going to preach today. Got it. I walk in with a genuine open heart. God, what do you have to say to me today? And I walk out with something, choosing to actually keep my eyes and ears open to myself. We have to speak the truth in love to ourselves, too. And it actually starts with ourselves. Then it bubbles over into other people. So what can keep us in a state of prolonged infancy? Fear. Number two is denial. The antidote to both is truth. And I've come to believe now that truth is actually incredibly important to the gospel. That there is no gospel message without the truth. We have to be confronted with the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our. So you have to believe that you are a. You have to get to that reality or you're never going to be able to accept that Jesus died for you because why would he if I'm, I've got this. I'm perfect, right? Truth is incredibly important to the gospel. Without it, we cannot accept that we are sinners. And sure, it's a painful reality. I told you a couple weeks last week, it feels like a long time ago, I told you last week about how I came to this big revelation that really shouldn't have been that big, right? I suck. That was it. That was the revelation. I'm not good in and of myself. All the good parts about me are Jesus. So I can't boast in myself. I can boast in him. There's nothing great about me that isn't him. I'm sinful on my own. I'm stuck in my selfish, sinful ways. I'm never going to get out of it without him. I need that truth to be able to fully accept who he is and what he can do in my life. If I can't accept that I am sinful, I cannot accept my Savior. The more we try to get to God on our own, the more we'll try to be God. And that's a dangerous road to take. Just ask Satan. Truth is also incredibly important to us, not only as individuals, but as a church. We don't just have to be truthful to ourselves, but truthful to each other as well. Truthful about what we need from each other, what we want out of this relationship with the, tr- with the church. Truthful about how we feel about what God is saying to us right now about our struggles and inadequacies and failures. We have to be truthful with each other. If we can't be real with each other, what do we really have? It's actually the number one complaint about the church from outsiders. We're judgmental fakers in their eyes, right? That is the perception. We are judgmental fakers. So if we can't stay authentic and down to earth and real, we've completely proven them right and lost our voice and influence with the world outside these walls. And what good are we? Remember, our purpose is to find souls to save. So what good are we if we've lost our voice out there in the world? We have to remain real. or We will never accomplish the job we were called to do. Jesus didn't allow his disciples to stay up there on the mountain and just bask in his glory all day. They wanted to set up camp and stay there. 
He sent them back down the mountain. Go be with people. Go make disciples. Go be relevant in their lives. Jesus blended in so well with the people, the towns, people not out in the temple, but out in the towns that literally Roman soldiers had to pay people to tell him who he was, had to point him out. He blended in with the town so well. He loved them. He hung out with them. He was one of them. We have to remain real. Ephesians 4 goes on to say in verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned that the truth comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. It's not talking to the average person. He is writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. He's talking to church people. Stop telling lies. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. I told you I compared versions in this passage. The Living Bible, which is my kid's Bible that I still study at home, by the way, says, verse 21, it words it this way. If you have really heard his voice and learned from him the truth, truths concerning himself, then throw off your old evil nature, the old you that was a partner in your evil ways. I like how it words that because it, it acknowledges the fact that we have e evil ways either way. But we don't have to partner with them, right? You are a partner in your evil ways, rotten through and through, full of lust and shame. Throw off the old you. I was an outsider. Remember from the first week of the series. Remember that I was an outsider. There was an old me, but I don't have to live there anymore. Now I am part of his house, part of a family. Now there's a couple things that the truth does for us. Number one is it keeps us righteous. Keeps us righteous. I know that's a really churchy word, right? Keeps us righteous. What does that even mean? First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So how can the truth keep us righteous if we can't be honest about what we're going through? Right? It feels like a loop that you're stuck. It's, it's one of those weird contradictions of Christianity. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not actually because who keeps us righteous? Jesus is the only thing that can keep us righteous. We can't do it on our own. So we can partner with our evil ways or we can resist it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James says. Resist it. Put off the old evil nature. Take it off like clothing and leave it behind. Put on new clothes for your new self. Put on Jesus. He is what keeps us righteous. And deception is one of those sort of topical sins that covers some underlying 
issues. I've told you before that I have this theory that there are really only three base sins underneath everything else, right? Pride, lust, and greed. And first, John 2.16 actually backs me up on this. Three things that, that sort of motivate other sins. Pride, lust, and greed. Out of that, we do all kinds of things to cover those things, right? For example, I could lie out of um, uh, I've been having an affair, right? I've, there's been lust going on in my life. I, I've been having a pornography addiction, whatever, and I'm lying topically to cover the lust going on underneath. Or I could lie because I've been stealing. I've been greedy, right? And I'm, I'm trying to cover that nobody should know that I've, I've been too greedy. I've been stealing things, so I'm lying, right? Or I could lie, all three lying, same topic, sin, but very different underlying causes. I could lie just to make myself look better, right? Out of pride. <laughs> three base sins that almost all of us deal with one over another, one is it really has a deep hold in there, and it's probably something you were born into, something you were taught growing up, right? But we lie to cover what's going on underneath. Deception is one of those topical sins that hides a multitude of other things. But if we don't allow the deception, we'll get to the root cause eventually, right? We can't possibly conquer the, the pride, the lust, and the greed if we're lying about it all the time. We're covering it all the time. This is why truth is an antidote to that. It keeps us righteous. God doesn't ask us to be perfect all the time. He just wants repentance from us. He wants a repentant heart so that we can come before God honest, honest about our struggles, saying, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I need help, right? There's no shame in that. Jesus can enter into that moment he can help come into your house and clean it up. That's what he wants to do. That's what he did. He came down from heaven, a perfect place to enter into our mess. Help us clean it up from the inside out. If we're constantly acknowledging that we don't measure up on our own, we'll have to constantly reconcile that fact. It's almost like we're, we have to live with a little bit of that pain all the time, constantly acknowledging that we are not ever going to measure up to his standard that it talks about in this passage, the standard of Christ. We're not going to measure up without him. We can never on our own. And that's a little bit painful to acknowledge, but it's a, the pain that we have to live with to manage the pain that comes from deep-seated sin issues, which is way worse. <laughs> going to create destruction in your life. I'd rather live with the pain that I'm not good enough, and Jesus is so good, so good. We can't lie to ourselves about it. Just repent and be forgiven. To have to feel some of that pain sometimes. You know, it's actually a, a therapy technique to sit in the pain, to process the pain. A lot of us want to medicate it away. We want to drink it away. We want to not feel it, Right? just don't want to feel this pain anymore and I have to do something. I have to make myself feel better. So we manufacture all of these things. You can't heal it if you don't feel it. You have to feel it. Feel the pain of what you've done so that you can fix it and move on. Otherwise, you stay in a loop. Truth keeps us righteous. And truth also, number two, is truth prunes us. I know this sounds very similar to keeps us righteous, but 
This one's a little bit more internal. We lie to ourselves way more often than we lie to others. We lie to ourselves way more often and way earlier than we lie to others. By the time a lie comes out of your mouth to somebody else, you've lied to yourself already a few times. Right? This is another therapy psychology thing, but we actually create two versions of ourselves in our mind when we sin and then cover it up. That's why we go a little bit crazy the further we get into sin, right? We create these two versions, one that's okay with what we're doing and one that knows it's not okay. It's Dr. Look up Dr. Caroline Leaf if you're ever interested in this. She's a Christian neuroscientist that talks about these kind of things. It's what the Bible has known for centuries, but we're just now figuring out with science. This is what's happening in your brain when you lie about something you're doing you're not proud of. We lie to ourselves more often than we lie to others. But truth forces us to look at where we're maybe not producing as much as we should. And this is why this is a little bit different than just keeps us righteous. Sometimes it's not a sin thing that we're lying to ourselves about. Sometimes it's just a binging on Netflix too much thing, right? Wasting time that we could be spending productively volunteering at church or helping somebody else, right? Pouring into our own lives and developing our gifts and talents. Or maybe it's, you know, overspending on vanilla lattes type of thing. Not that I've ever been guilty of that. Or, you know, generally not managing your time and your resources well. Not necessarily sinful, but not productive either. And God makes productive things. He prunes the things that are productive to make them more productive, Right From last week, you remember, he is a master that uh, collects where he did not plant. That's the wrong word from the version, but that's the idea, right? He harvests, thank you, where he did not plant. He prunes things to make them more productive. Truth prunes us. It forces us to look at ourselves honestly. What's actually going on under everything else? And number three, truth keeps pride at bay. Nothing comes between a church quite like pride. We start pretending, we start dying. Pride comes between a church like nothing else. We have to let go of pretense and be real and authentic with each other. We convince ourselves that, that, you know, we're alone when we're fake. When everybody around is saying, I have a great life, everything's great. Right, we, we flip through the highlight reel on Instagram and we convince ourselves that everybody's life is so much greater than ours and I'm the only one that doesn't have it all together. It's just not true. <laughs> the further I get into adulthood, the more I realize nobody has this thing figured out. Right? The more I know, the less I know. When am I ever going to have life figured out? <laughs> Somebody older than me, please tell me there's an end to this. I don't think there is. We're all just taking it one day at a time. And if we're not real about that, it causes other people to feel like they're all alone in this world. Like, I can't possibly tell people about my problems. I, I'd be burn, burdening them. They, they don't want to hear the details, right? This is how the church is, is meant to function, though. We're meant to share in each other's burdens. That's the job we've been called to. You keep pride walls up everywhere and you push everybody out and it it doesn't work. We start pretending, we start dying. 
Craig Groeschel always says, people would rather follow someone who's always real than always right. I think people would rather be a friend to that kind of person too. You'd rather have a friend that's always real than one that's always right. Truth keeps us authentic. It keeps us real. Deception puts up these walls and barriers and veils, right? It pushes people away. It keeps them at arm's length. It it creates more sin in that way too, right? More secrecy, more disunity, and then more greed and more lust and shame. It's a cycle and it's deadly. Just be real. Throw off the old you. Throw off that sinful nature, Verse 23 in another version says, now your attitudes and thoughts must be constantly changing for the better. Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. They must be constantly changing. Yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Clothe yourself with this new nature. Number four is truth keeps us constantly changing. Constantly changing. I heard someone lately sort of, this was like somebody in their 40s maybe, I don't know. It was just overheard at like a grocery store. It wasn't somebody I actually knew, but it was somebody saying, you know, I am, I'm so different from who I was in high school. And I was just thinking, you're like 40, dude. I would hope you're a lot different than who you were in high school. He was saying it like he was bragging about it. Like, come on, like... (laughs) Our brains don't fully develop until we're like 25, so please tell me you're different than who you were in high school. I, honestly, I feel like this in this walk with Jesus, and maybe it's not like this outside the walk with Jesus, but I feel like in this relationship that we have going right now, I'm a different person than I was last week, much less last decade or so. <laughs> I'm a di- I literally feel like I'm a different person than I was two weeks ago when I went through that dark, like, spiritual crushing. <laughs> He's making me a new vessel for new wine constantly. And who wants the old anyway? Why would you want to be the same person that you were in high school? You have to be constantly changing, or you're probably not confronting yourself with some very difficult truths. Confront yourself with it constantly. Look underneath of why you do what you do. Examine it honestly. And yeah, it's painful. I've done this pretty radically over the past few years. I'll I'll behave in a way that I'm not necessarily proud of, and I'll sit back and actually think about it afterward. And don't get me wrong, there are all kinds of excuses up front. I experienced those too. Right? I didn't have coffee that morning. I, you know, I didn't get enough sleep. I reacted badly. You know, I'm sorry, but those aren't the real reasons or excuses. What's underneath the excuses? I want to seem better than I am or busier than I am or more important than I am, maybe. I'm, I'm prideful. That's what's underneath the way that I acted, the way that I did. I'm, that's what I need to put to rest. I don't just need to get more sleep and drink more coffee. That's ridiculous. I need to conquer the pride. And that's painful. Absolutely. But it's necessary. Truth keeps me constantly changing for the better. I have to be constantly changing for the better. In fact, getting comfortable in the kingdom is actually much more dangerous than you might think. 
dangerous staying in the same place for too long in the kingdom of God. In fact, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 33, and 34 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and scarcity, I keep getting it wrong, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. A little sleep, a little slumber, doesn't say a lot of laziness, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you. Scarcity, like an armed robber. Staying in the same place for too long, allowing a little bit of laziness. Just a little. It's dangerous in the kingdom of God. You know, the disciples, on the very last night that they had to support their rabbi, on the night he needed them most, he asked them for one simple thing. You remember this story? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, stay up and pray with me. And sure, they had a long week. Absolutely. They did a lot of walking that week. They did a lot of miracle stuff, right? They followed Jesus around everywhere they went. They don't have a home to go to and sleep at night. Like, they've had a rough week. I get it. And, and I deeply get those that spiritual tired, if you know what I mean. I call it a preaching hangover on Monday mornings. I am <laughs> done. <laughs> like, don't text me on Monday till like 11 a.m. Because it's just, it's bad. You, you get this spiritual, because you output so much, you, there's a, a drain that comes along with it. So I get it. You know what I mean? They were tired. But Jesus asked them for one more thing. Didn't ask them to go back out and, and keep guard against the soldiers. He didn't, he didn't ask them to go out and do more miracles or pro proclaim truth and preach in the streets. He just asked them to stay up and pray. <sighs> and maybe if they had, they would have made it through the next season. They would have stuck with Jesus even through the toughest season of his life and theirs. Maybe, maybe if they had been obedient just a little longer. They would have been able to stick with him. You know, the Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding, but I think maybe it's just our culture as Americans, or maybe this is just human nature in general, but we tend to think that peace that passes all understanding should be physically peaceful. Right? Like, people should like us and, and agree with us, and we should have financial stability and just, in general, physically peaceful, right? I should have a good, happy, pleasant, uneventful life. That's what I deserve as, as a child of God. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, the further you get into following Jesus, the more you're confronted, the more you're challenged, the more you're asked to step up. The reward for your last challenge is your next challenge. Don't get comfortable. Don't go to sleep. Don't have a, a little folding of the hands to rest. Work at this thing. It's incredibly dangerous to stop changing. Peace that passes all understanding isn't moving to a cabin in the woods and, and removing people altogether from your life. Peace that passes all understanding is about being in the storms, in the battles, and still having peace. That still, small voice that helps you see in the dark. God doesn't always flip on the light for you. Sometimes he just helps you to see 
in the dark. To be constantly changing means you have to be constantly confronting yourself with truth. I don't want to be someone that hides. I posted a picture on my Instagram and Facebook story this week of a very, very messy house. My very messy house. And I talked about the struggles of this pastor life, (laughs) right? The crises and the celebrations and the decisions and the effect that it has on my life. And I was writing this on my day off and my kitchen was a mess. (laughs) And I was trying to prepare for my kids coming home in an hour and really focusing on them for the evening because I hadn't all week and it was 14 hour days and it was 12 and a half hour days and it was just a crazy week. But I don't want to be someone that hides any of it, the good or the bad. I don't want to be someone who's not authentic with you all from this position. I did that for a long time. I hid from people for a long time. But especially over this last crisis season of my life, for those of you that don't know, my husband just had a kidney transplant in October, and it was a crazy 18 months before that. It was a crisis for 18 months. We were in survival mode. And if I learned anything from that, really from my husband, who was incredibly open through all of it, like way more than I would have been. He let me overshare with you all the details of his life that I never would have. But what I learned from him in that was that people want to help if you just tell them what's going on. We hide stuff for why? For what reason? Why do we hide it from each other when people are actually so kind and generous when you tell them what's actually going on? In the right heart and spirit, don't get me wrong, There's ways to say it badly and to ask for help badly. But people want to help. Why don't we share it with each other? I don't want to be someone that hides. I'm not going back to that place. I actually feel like I'm pretty honest with you guys up here. I share my struggles and my faults with you. I'm just asking you to do the same. I hope that was a little bit like a ping in your heart. I'm just asking you to do the same. Be honest and authentic with each other. If we can't come together and be authentic with each other, we will never make it into our purpose as a church. Never. People can often feel when you're not being genuine anyway. right? Even even if you're saying all the right things but have the wrong expression on your face. You're saying all the right things, but with the wrong spirit. People will often just forgive you even if they don't believe a word that's coming out of your mouth because just stop having the conversation, right? Whatever, I forgive you. Stop talking about it. <laughs> they'll just they'll want to move on, but that doesn't actually create unity. That's a fake unity. It's an agree to disagree. It doesn't help. We need actual unity. We have to be authentic and honest with each other to the point that it hurts just using every opportunity to hold ourselves to Christ's standard. One of my favorite quotes of all time I heard lately at a women's conference, Susie Larson said that she once asked somebody, a woman a little older ahead of her in ministry for some advice. And the woman said to her, you'll be given a thousand opportunities to die to die to yourself, to die to your sinful nature, to walk to that crucifixion with Jesus. You'll be given a thousand opportunities to die. 
take every one of them. Take every one of them. Die a thousand deaths to your sinful nature. Allow yourself to be taken up to that cross and to be reborn into what God has for you. Allow that resurrection in your life. But here's the balance to all of this. Because remember I said in the beginning, sometimes the truth can be used as a weapon. I'm not asking for radical truth that hurts people. Right? Because this passage balances it pretty well by saying, speak the truth in love. That in love bit is the one some of us like to miss. We justify really hurtful things with, well, it was the truth. I'm just being honest. Like, that's not what we were called to do. It says, speak the truth in love. There are only two ways to say the truth, in love or without it. <laughs> that's it. And it's actually a really good litmus test for going into a confrontation, right? We should be having Matthew 18 moments. If you're not familiar, Matthew 18 15 through 18, I think, talks about how we are to handle disagreements between Christians. It's a really great outline, actually. Read it if you have it in a while. Talk to people about your issues. That's the bottom line. Face-to-face, -face, have conversations. We have to have those as Christians, or we get off in unity all over the place. But going into one of those conversations... You have to ask yourself, am I going to say what I'm going to say in love? Or am I going to say what I want to say and try to hurt them more with it? If I can't say it, trying to win them back, that's actually the wording in Matthew 18. It says, go into these things, trying to win them back. That's not why you're saying it. Drop it and walk away. Better not said than said as a weapon. Speak the truth in love. And don't get caught walking in truth, but not in love. We can use all Jesus's words, but not have his heart and be wrong. People do it all the time. Religious people do it all the time. I'd like to say good people, but <sighs> when you use Jesus's words and not his heart, he will literally tell you when you get to heaven, I did not know you. You can know everything there is to know about the Bible. And if you don't say it with the truth, it means nothing. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us? I can know all the languages in all of heaven and on earth, and it will mean nothing without love. I can be the best prophet that ever lived, know all of God's secret thoughts. And if it, I don't have love, what does it matter? I have nothing, right? I can speak all the truth in the entire world. I can have all the internet's knowledge in my head, and if I don't have love, it means nothing. Nothing. The truth is nothing without love. We have to be speaking the truth in love. And, and also, on the other hand, we have to be able to receive the truth with love. We have to keep pride at bay. And Chris Hodges a pastor I've heard speak a couple of times in person, he says that once a year or so, he asks his wife on a date and they go out and they make a big deal out of it. And he makes, he creates a moment where he can look her in the eyes and honestly ask, how am I doing as a husband? How am I doing? 
He asked her for honest feedback about their relationship. And I have tried this. It takes an incredible amount of vulnerability to look at the person who knows you best, who lives with you every single day and say, how am I doing? You can always almost guess what they're going to say and you don't want to change it. Just saying. It's an amazing amount of putting my pride aside and being willing to be a better person for my husband. We have to be able to receive truth with that amount of vulnerability with each other. With that amount of authenticity. <clears throat> you want them to, and by the way, they almost always will say back, oh, it's great, right? Maybe not my husband. He's a very honest person. But some of us will just take the easy way. Um, you're, you're doing great, you know? Things may come to mind, but you don't want to have that fight. You have to sort of get past that. No, really, what can I do better in our relationship? How can I serve you better? What would you prefer is happening in our relationship? How can I be better? We have to be authentic with each other because we've got souls to save. We have to be real. We have to get this. As I was preparing this this week, I just felt this urgency in my soul for us to get this. We have to be real with each other. The truth is going to find you out anyway, y'all. <laughs> you continue down the secrecy road long enough, it's going to find you out, and it's going to be incredibly destructive when it does. Why not confess it now? You've heard my teaching on breaking secrecy before, right? It's incredibly powerful when we come together as Christians and confess our sins to one another. We break secrecy and the power that it has over us. Last week... I think I said last week, you come to God for forgiveness, but you go to his people for healing, right? Confess your sins to one another, and then healing can come. That's what it says. Use the church as it was meant to be used and talk to each other. Be real with each other. Have honest conversations with God and with each other. It cannot possibly be worse than the secrecy and death you're currently living in or will get to eventually cannot possibly be worse we've got souls to save we've got a job on this earth we have to stop hiding stop lying to each other and stop making excuses we've got souls to save thank you so much for joining us today if you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Against the rush, grace descended 
from the source of its supply. Cause in the highlands and the heartache, you're neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop in nothing. You're just not that hard to find. I will praise you in the mountains in my way You're the summit where my feet are So I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the heartache all the same Just a shadow through the night and trace my steps through all my failures and walk me out the other side. For who could dare ascend that mountain? Valley hill called Calvary before the one. Call good shepherd who like a lamb was slain for me. Whoa, I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same no less God within the shadows no less faithful when the night leads me astray you're the heaven where my heart is in the highlands in the heartache all the same Shadows, my song of ascent. Whatever I walk through, wherever I am, your name can move mountains wherever I stand. And if ever I walk through the valley of 
Sometimes the, the mountains and the valleys in front of us are things that just come against us in life. The, the hardships, the difficulties, and sickness and loss. But, but sometimes they're things that we feel like we've done to ourselves. Sins that we've heaped on ourselves. Things that we knowingly did. And, and how could God ever forgive something that I did to myself? And then we get stuck in a lie of the enemy that I'm too far gone, that it's too late, that yes, he forgave me of everything I did, but then I knew who he was and I still did those things. How could he forgive me again? Yeah, sure, he'll forgive other people, but I am so sinful, I'm so lost, I've gone so far. How could he ever forgive me? You see, he lived a perfect life. He, he faced every temptation and was without sin. But at the end of his life, he took on our sin. He felt the weight of it. One of the most powerful things I was ever told, I was at an altar crying one day, and someone looked me in the eyes, and he says, that thing you're weeping over, he knew you'd do when he went to the cross for you. Your worst day, he looked at and said, I still love them. And then he paid for that sin with his blood. It's not about our behavior, it's about our Savior. It's not about what you've done, but who you know. And then when you know who you know, you know who you are. And you'll be set free the power of the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. That grave is empty. That price is paid. So walk in freedom. Climb the mountains in freedom, not in bondage. Stop looking at your sin and start looking at your Savior. His blood will free you. There's power in it. There's power in it. We're going to sing one more chorus, one more hymn, one more song that Christians have been singing for decades about his power of his sacrifice that frees us from our sin, our shame, our guilt. And I want you to experience that freedom, freedom from that sin. 